Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Francis Watch on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, and on this episode, I'm joined by our usual guests, the, the usual suspects, His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and Father Anthony Chicada, Associate Pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. It's almost May, so Your Excellency and Father, you must be grateful that the school year is coming to an end. I don't know what kind of school year you have, uh, but we we don't end up until July 2nd. Oh, goodness. You're used to those uh, U.S. universities that, you know, where everybody's graduating on May 5th or something. Uh, no, we, we go right to the bitter end. <laughs> but he he for, uh, forgot to mention that he actually starts late uh, because of all things of the Florida hurricane season. Yes, yes okay. we do. Also, okay. we want to include all of those big feast days at the end of the school year. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And well, that, we'll be we'll be settling we'll be settling up uh, by the end of May. So. Uh, <laughs> so so there are still miles to go before either of you sleep. Then. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I was uh, getting ready for May Day tomorrow, though. That's that's uh, in honor of liberation theology. Uh, that that we could, we'll get into that later. <laughs> yeah, we definitely will. <laughs> I, I did I did wonder aloud, Your Excellency, to, to uh, a colleague about how an American is supposed to celebrate a communist holiday, and he told me that perhaps I could go take the change on my pocket and go to a corner and, and distribute it to my fellow. <laughs> So, well, I, really no, I think actually the government would distribute it forward. It would take it out of your pocket. Well, I, w- I would hand it to my dear leader first. Uh, so uh, I just have to go to the Elysee Palace and hand it to a Monsieur Hollande. Then um, we want to remind our listeners that this episode, as is the case for all of our non-sponsored episodes, is free for the first 15 minutes to non-members. To receive access to all Restoration Radio episodes, please visit RestorationRadioNetwork.com. Go to the member area on the menu bar to find out details on becoming a member. If you're not a member and would like to purchase an individual episode, go to RestorationRadioNetwork.com, navigate to the available episode of your choice, and simply click the links below the player on the page. After completing your purchase, you will be emailed a secure download link. Uh, your Excellency Father, I, we had quite an action-packed show last uh, last month, and uh, I think halfway through the month, Father Chikata had, had, had wondered, would we do a Francis watch this month? Uh, because there hadn't been that much material, and I, I reminded Father that as the sparrows do not worry, uh, for uh, you know, or they will nest. Uh, we do not worry here at Francis Watch about a lack of material, and uh, and my my trust in Providence has been rewarded. What what I want to reflect on is, are there any themes from the last episode that you've either heard from parishioners or through email correspondence? that you want to touch on before we dive into this month's material? Was there any reflection points from, from our last episode? That you- well, the, the um, per, uh, perception I get in from people in the email correspondence is that he is going ahead with his revolutionary program. And uh, I've heard from, oh, perhaps five or six people uh, by email since our last show uh, who have become convinced about the state of Acante position because they say this man can't possibly be the Pope. So the more this guy opens his mouth, the more he uh, confirms the validity of what we've been saying for years that the Vatican II Church and the Vatican II teaching is, is, is not Catholic. 
so it's 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 gratifying to realize that more and more people are, are coming to realize this. I heard a few comments that it was a very good show. A lot of people were uh, they thought it was you know one of the best ones we did. That, that's all I heard though. <clears throat> well, as this show is all about focusing on humility, I, we will take that in a spirit of, of humility. Then, let's see. As I. I want to I want to look at the material that Father Jakata has always very generously provided for us. Um, it certainly couldn't be left to to myself or His Excellency to to, to dig through all of this uh, muck to get us uh, the the important things that we need to focus on. And I, as I was reviewing the material, I, I see uh, at least for this month in particular, this isn't new for us. We've seen this before, but something that really dominated for me was what a large and outsized space the idea of, of Pharisees and, and legalism occupies in this man's thinking. It, it, it reminds me a lot of, of Luther. And secondly, his, his flawless use of the Vatican II technique of dangling something nice or orthodox or however you want to look at it, something that sounds good on the surface, and then, you, and then it, it then plants some dynamite right underneath it for you. And it, remind, it reminded me, um, you know, of this, the, Father Chicada talks about this, this uh, Soviet technique of, of putting a quote of Lenin on top of whatever you wanted to write, even if it was completely subversive. And uh, in, in the early 80s, in, in his early troublemaking days, this would be a way that Father Chikata would sort of launch invectives. He'd put a quote from the archbishop, you know, like, JP2 is the Antichrist, and then proceed to, uh, to write, uh, write, write some polemics, and, and using that as, a, as an intro, because uh, people would, oh, it's a quote from the archbishop, so we have to pay attention. So by the same token, unjustly, uh, Francis does this with our Lord. Uh, I was shocked uh, by a few times, and we'll get to that later in the episode, of which he, he just arrogates uh, sentiments of our Lord uh, to bend his very twisted purposes. So that's really, I think we're going to see this over and over in, today, in, in today's episode, this, this outsized dominance of the Pharisees in, in, his, in his thinking and his Vatican II techniques. And um, we'll start by talking about the year of mercy that uh, Francis envisioned. Now, I wanted to say that potentially that mercy was a code word. Uh, the quote uh, comes from the National Catholic Review Online uh, on April the 11th. And the phrase was, perhaps we have long since forgotten how to show and live the way of mercy. The temptation to focus exclusively on justice made us forget that this is only the first, albeit necessary, and indispensable step. Now, I thought we might start counterintuitively. Uh, no one will say on Bishop Sanborn's tombstone that this is Bishop Sanborn the Merciful. He, he will not be known by that, by that name. So I thought I would ask His Excellency first, what is the Catholic notion of mercy? In, is it in opposition to justice? Um, and is mercy here a code word? Well, the Catholic notion of mercy is a relaxation of justice for a good reason. Uh, and it is therefore not opposed to justice, but actually presupposes justice. The example is uh, a judge is in front of a murderer who is weeping for his sins and, and uh, says he did a terrible thing and, and 
that he uh, so forth and so on. Uh, if a judge were to see that uh, that sort of activity in a prisoner or an accused, uh, a convict, he might be moved correctly to justice. Excuse me, to mercy, because it's in accordance with reason. Everything must be in accordance with reason. So he might relax the, let's say, he may not give him the, the strictest and heaviest sentence because he sees uh, that he is very sorry. On the other hand, if somebody comes in front of the judge and says, you know, I'm happy that I killed the old lady and if I could do it again, I'd shoot her up twice as much, uh, he's going to slap him with the full extent of justice. Uh, reasonably uh so the there is uh because both justice and mercy are in accordance with reason there is no conflict so you would say if if a if a criminal expressed great and sincere sorrow in the at least in the mind of the judge about his crime it would be against reason to give him the full extent of the law See, so there's no conflict because reason is ruling all of this, and the wisdom of God rules all of it in His dealings with us. You see, so if you know, so Saint Mary Magdalene, she comes in and shows extreme contrition and extreme purpose of amendment, uh, and He shows her great mercy. Uh, on the other hand, you know, if somebody came in and said, uh, you know. I'm the greatest, and and you should bless me or something. He would have, you know, he would have just dismissed them. Or if someone had come in without showing any purpose of uh, any purpose of amendment or contrition, he would not have shown mercy to them. So his wisdom prevails there, and there is there is no conflict between justice and mercy. So that that's the Catholic notion of justice and mercy. Uh, or to, Bergoglio, go, go ahead. Uh, to that, I, I uh, would add to make the um, uh, analogy or the comparison with the judge even more uh, posit here is is that the um, uh, a criminal before the judge who um, was standing there for sentencing, uh, if uh, he said that, well, um, let's say that that uh, he is he is a financial swindler he's someone like uh, bernie madoff who madoff with an awful lot of people's money <laughs> and the uh the, that the judge says does the defendant have anything to say and bernie says that well uh, you know i'm sorry i gave offense to anyone uh but uh what i would like to continue to do is to run my little ponzi schemes and to <laughs> cheat people and i want you to to be merciful to me uh nevertheless so yes that, that uh, is another scenario yeah that, that that's the other scenario in other words the uh there is an there's no element of a contrition there and there's no justification for uh letting bernie off as regards the punishment yes the purpose of amendment is a necessary condition of true contrition if you just say well i'm sorry but i want to continue what i'm doing there's no contrition at all if you tell that to a priest he's going to say well sorry and then he'll close the the uh the door on you i mean he he's this, because your contrition is insincere, uh, and there would be he has to retain your sin until such time as you have purpose of amendment. 
and uh, so, but this is for Bergoglio. This mercy word is exactly what Father Tricata just described. It is the complete abandonment of the application of the moral law, and it is called. It is cloaked in the beautiful term of mercy, and that is, we are going to let you continue with your Ponzi scheme and let you back on the street, put you in in situations in which you can sin because we're merciful. Uh, That's effectively what he wants to do with people who are divorced and remarried and who have, you know, become transgender, although it's probably a virtue now to become a transgender. But the, the, uh, uh, that would be reward out of justice, you know, say if you're a transgender. But the, the, uh, that's, that's what, it's a code word for abandoning the application of the moral law, if indeed he even believes in the moral law. But certainly the application of it must be abandoned, and anyone who insists on the application of it is is a Pharisee or a doctor of the law or somebody who has no mercy, uh, a, you know, just uh, somebody that, that is completely to be rejected. And these are all the people who happen to at least aspire to Catholicism. Well, I again, I think we see Francis setting up our Lord in opposition. To this this proper notion of mercy by by giving us a number of quotes and then and then quoting our Lord, so he'll say and again these are things that maybe on even on a surface level they might sound good but I think it's, it will would do well for us to examine them. The first is uh, mercy is mercy and justice are really two dimensions of a single reality that unfolds progressively until it culminates in, in the fullness of love. Why that phrase would never make it at Most Holy Trinity Seminary. <laughs> justice. Oh, it's meaningless. It's totally justice, mean, It's gobbledygook, and, and and he doesn't understand it any more than you do. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing that's essential to understand is that it's it, it's gobbledygook, and it's gobbledygook that's directed in uh, a certain way to uh, allow you to have a conclusion. Uh, without stating explicitly uh, what it is. Because yeah. if, if you had an explicit conclusion from an explicit principle, then people would be probably horrified. If he said that, well, the, 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 the purpose of, of, of um, uh, mercy and justice go together so you can commit adultery and do it in a right. habitual fashion. Well, I mean, uh, uh, that is going to get uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the uh, attention of everyone. Right, well, it gives the game away. But he's, it's it's the it's the the the, the gobbledygook that allows him to uh, spread all of these ideas. That's known as it's one of the modern fallacies. It's mentioned in our logic book <clears throat> to say things in such a way that uh, you obscure the whole point, and really that anything could be drawn from it. It's it's a modern fallacy. It also is a fallacy to let to use big words and to talk in such a philosophical manner that you impress people as if you're some great intelligence that ought to be listened to. Uh, that it's also fallacious. Whenever you see that stuff, you, you just, you know, that uh, really the devil is behind it. There's an old saying, the devil hates points. That is, he hates determined doctrine. He hates uh, things that are clear and defined. And he loves gobbledygook because uh, an awful lot of evil and falsehood can pass through gobbledygook. And this is just gobbledygook. 
Well, he, he adds, uh, beyond that first phrase I read you, he, he adds, salvation comes not through the observance of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, who in his death and resurrection brings salvation together with a mercy that justifies. Yes. He then goes on to quote our Lord to say, go and, lean, go and learn the meaning of I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And I think he's asking you, well, draw this conclusion. What does our Lord mean, etc.? Well, that was said in the context of the calling of St. Matthew. And the idea was to respond to those who would say, well, he's a sinner, therefore don't call him. Now, again, we go back to the Ponzi scheme. He was calling St. Matthew with the idea of his continuing to cheat people through tax collection. Then, obviously, that is, is not what our Lord meant. What our Lord meant was that he was there to call sinners, that is, to their repentance, to their purpose of amendment, and to, to, to living correctly and according to the law, uh, the moral law. Uh, and uh, not that he's going to approve of their sin. And that's the, what, what he's constantly harping on, is that they can stay in their sins, and, and the permission to stay in their sins is mercy. So it's it's just a, a, an ugly and clumsy distortion of the gospel. That's the only way I can put it. And the, that that statement that he said, salvation comes not through the observance of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, is heretical. Uh, the uh, and that is, if it is meant and taken to mean that it is not through the observance of the moral law, but through faith in Christ, that is heretical. It's Martin Luther's interpretation of what St. Paul says concerning the works of the law, meaning the Levitical uh, strictures, uh, everything that is found, uh, the ceremonial strictures and the dietary strictures of the book of Leviticus. That is what he, St. Paul is referring to when he condemns the observance of the law. Martin Luther took that to me, <laughs> the observance of the moral law, <laughs> as we know, uh, you know, through his various sayings and, and approvals of, of people's vices and whatnot, uh, that the, the observance of the moral law does not contribute to your salvation or is not a condition of your salvation. Only faith in Christ, uh, because by having faith in Christ, uh, God overlooks our sins, covers them up, looking at the righteousness of Christ, and not at the sin which is underneath the righteousness of Christ. So by faith in Christ, we attach ourselves to this blanket, so to speak, of the righteousness of Christ. That's Martin Luther's heresy. It is condemned by the Council of Trent. And I say that this is what he means. He does not mean St. Paul's idea. This is what he means because, according to all of the general norms of interpretation, you look at parallel texts in someone's sayings and doings. Uh, they, you look at what they mean in other cases when they talk about this, and in all those cases, he means the Lutheran notion of uh, of the law, that is, the moral law. So this is a this is a heretical statement, a you know, very very clear heretical statement. Yes, and the uh, so context, everything that that Bergoglio has, uh, says on these uh, issues uh, relating to just when he uses the, the the code phrases justice and mercy, the law, 
the Pharisees and uh, so on, all of that uh, leads inescapably to uh, that conclusion that he is talking about the uh, moral law. For how else could he say that uh, someone who is a um, who is uh, was validly married the first time, who is divorced and who uh, remarries, uh, how else could he? portray the approval of giving sacraments to such a person as uh, as uh, somehow an act of mercy uh, tied in uh, with justice. Uh, what he is he's clearly talking about here is the question of the, the moral law. Yes, and it, it would be ridiculous to think that he is bringing up the the dietary uh, norms of the book of Leviticus here. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, come on, he probably never even saw it. He doesn't even know what it is. Yeah, the the, the uh, uh, you know he's obviously he has this on the brain. This idea of giving communion to people who live in sin. It's on his brain. It's on it's his agenda, and he's going to get it through in October. And he he's saying this, he's hammering away during the springtime, and I'm sure through the summer too, hammering away at that hierarchy and, and people in general who are listening to him, that we have to push this through under the flag of the mercy of God. Uh, so that, You can see it clearly. Uh, and, and he's just battering the, the forces that of modernists you know, moderate modernists, let's call them, who are saying, well, you know, this is not a good idea. Well, I mean, I certainly hope he's not talking about dietary restrictions because uh, I do love my <laughs> bacon. And uh, to, quote Charlton Heston, to quote Charlton Heston, from my cold, dead hands, uh, will, you, will you take my bacon? Um, he concludes the discussion about the year of mercy by a rather astounding quote. I trust that this jubilee year celebrating the mercy of God will foster an encounter with these religions and with other noble religious traditions. Can can a Catholic use uh, that phrase ever? Other noble religious traditions? No, uh, no. The 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 in any religion there there are three things, or usually three things. One. There could be truths of natural religion, things that we deduce about God from reason. Two, there uh, could be some stolen dogmas from Catholicism, as you find in Protestantism. And three, there's plenty of error. There's always error. <laughs> right. So, you know, but uh, noble religious traditions... First of all, the, the 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 what comes from reason is not a religious tradition. It is just uh, just deductions from reason concerning the, the the nature of God. Secondly, if a dogma is stolen from Catholicism, it really doesn't even belong to that religion. It does not come from that religion. And thirdly, uh, their error is something to be despised, uh, condemned. Because it, it is error, and, and error is an abomination in God's sight. So, the, the, really, there's, there's nothing in that term that has any connection with reality. Well, it doesn't sound like a very positive encounter on your part, Your Excellency. <laughs> no, I didn't have a positive encounter with that. <laughs> no, it's the same old ecumenical garbage. And the, the, we all have God in us. 
we all uh, have religion that, uh, except the atheists who are going to heaven anyway, but the, most of us have some religion which is the effect of our encounter with God in us. So therefore, all religious traditions in the modernist system become noble because God is revealing himself in each person in his own way. And yes, the dogmas may differ, but, you know, who cares about dogmas? That's for the Pharisees and the doctors of the law. So what is important is that you have an interior encounter, as he says, with Christ, or an encounter with God. Uh, that's, that's faith and religion. And, and anything that is outside of that, in other words, anything that grows from that, any kind of liturgical traditions or dogmatic traditions or moral traditions that grow from that are... Uh, noble in the sense that they grow from a seed, a divine seed, but really uh, are, are subject to change and, and are subject to to evolution as people discover God more in themselves and more more accurately. We might say <laughs> that that's ecumenism. That's that's Vatican II. You know, the the Vatican II's principal heresy was the embracing of ecumenism. And it has to see all religions as having a certain value. And the only way you can is through that modernist principle. The next news story that we're going to look at comes out of uh, the Vatican News Service on the 26th of April. And it, it brought, brought to mind that, that Father Chicada has always told me that your, your basic three rules of, of homiletics are be good, be brief, and, and be gone. And it seems that, that Bergoglio hasn't ever taken Father Chicada's advice because he seems to break all of these rules in, in this sermon that he gave. And, um, it's wide-ranging, it's, it's, it's not good, it's, it's not brief, and, and he, he certainly doesn't go away. There are, there are three things I want to focus on within this sermon. The first is a, a quote, a sentence that's buried within a bunch of other things. So lest our listeners say that we are taking this gentleman out of context, I'm going to read... The, the body of the text, and then focus on the phrase that, that interests us. He says, When you celebrate Mass, acknowledge then what you are doing. Do not be hasty. Imitate what you celebrate. It is not an artificial rite. With baptism, you will add new faithful to the people of God. You must never refuse baptism to those who ask for it. With the sacrament of penance, you will forgive sins in the name of Christ and of the Church, and I, in the name of of Jesus Christ, the Lord, and his spouse, the Holy Church, I ask you never to tire of being merciful. You will be in the confession, confessional to forgive, not to condemn. And the quote that, that caught Father Chikata's eye was, you must never refuse baptism to those who ask for it. Uh, and Father, why, why did that uh, catch your eye? Precisely because what he is, is uh, about, what he's, he's doing is he is um, uh, setting up now the uh, uh, principles for uh, baptizing children of the so-called gay unions. So that's that's the next thing. That's the next part of this this um, uh, this mercy program that uh, he's uh, 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 that he's setting up. So he's uh, making it very clear to uh, his listeners, to these um, young would-be priests who are. Uh, going to be ordained that there's never really uh, a, a, any reason for uh, refusing to baptize anyone. The old rule all the time was that one had to have a reasonable expectation 
that the child is, is in fact, going to be uh, raised as uh, a Catholic. But that seems to be gone here. And that's the Don't idea. Don't forget the Martian. To... Don't forget the Martian. Yeah, the Martians. But the, the, the other thing... <laughs> The other thing that, that uh, Stephen, um, you might not have noticed since uh, you're not a bishop, uh, is that <laughs> some of the phrases that you have here, when you celebrate Mass, acknowledge what you are doing, um, the, uh, that actually is in the uh, traditional exhortation before um, the uh, before ordination to the the, uh, the priesthood. Now, what uh, Paul VI did in in '68 uh, is in the exhortation uh, for the new rite that the bishop is uh, supposed to uh, deliver to those who are being ordained. He maintained uh, a number of, of the phrases that are found in the old rite in the traditional rite, but says that well, you can uh, use these or similar words. So what Bergoglio is, is doing here is he is sort of riffing. He is improvising on the uh, text of the Paul VI Pontifical. This is the sort of practice that um, really drives conservatives crazy. Because he's, he's putting his own stuff in. Don't be hasty. Imitate what you celebrate. Uh, in Latin, that's imitamine quod tractatus. Uh, but then he has to put in his idea, well, it's not an artificial right. In other words, uh, he's communicating the idea that uh, this idea of, of, of uh, a uh, solemn or uh, ritual-filled uh, approach to the sacred liturgy is something which is artificial. I think he could have mentioned here, though, that the second canon was written on the back of a napkin in a restaurant. Uh, <laughs> The so I, you know I don't know if artificial right would uh, what you would call that maybe uh, <laughs> it's true yeah. how more artificial could you get than writing it on the back of a napkin in a restaurant yeah so he's the, there's these are the, the the typical crazy themes of of uh, Bergoglio that he he's he's riffing on. Then the uh, the idea of of never tiring of being merciful that means that well what we said it meant uh, the idea is that you look the other way as far as the notion of repentance and that you don't I insist on a firm purpose of amendment because that would be condemning. Yes, that's condemning. So uh, let's go yeah, the, in other, peace. the other anti-ritualist point that he makes is. Um, and I don't think this occurs in the traditional rite. Um, the priest who lives to please himself, who acts like a peacock, is unpleasant. Um, I, I, for some reason, I don't recall that from the ordination exhortation. But what, <laughs> Can't what I remember the word for peacock in Latin. <laughs> <laughs> real trivia question. But what he's talking about, again, is, a, is any sort of... Uh, 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 solemnity that you want to introduce into the new rites that that you're not supposed to do. No. Well, I mean, really, I mean, Bergoglio talking about uh, peacock is really like calling the rooster proud, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, the the next thing that uh, uh, Bergoglio speaks about again, this theme, this outsized notion of, of Pharisaism and, and legalism crowding out mercy. And now it's crowding out joy. There's no more joy allowed. And 
he again starts with something again superficially that sounds good but really is is something that undermines he says and that's what these doctors of the law did not understand they did not understand the joy of promise they did not understand the joy of hope they did not understand the joy of the alliance they did not understand they did not know how to rejoice because they had lost the sense of joy that only comes from faith. Now, as I did uh, with the mercy point, I, I said that uh, Bishop Sanborn will, will not be known as Bishop Sanborn the merciful. I also don't think that he'll be known as Bishop Sanborn the joyful. So I, I'm going to ask his excellency again. I'm waiting what for how, <laughs> what I will be known for. Uh, <laughs> maybe we should run a, a, contra, uh, a contest to, uh, for uh, the inscription. So yes, and I'll put, that on, I'll put that on the Bishop Sanborn doll that will be coming out later. Later, <laughs> this week. Um, what, what you know the proper the proper names, but you, you're actually again the proper, especially we're in a joyful liturgical season. Uh, what is the Catholic notion of joy, and is this a code word? Uh, the Catholic notion of joy is an entirely supernatural thing, uh, whereby you uh, joy is the effect of possessing something that you desire. So the child who gets an ice cream cone is joyous. <laughs> you know, so he possesses what he has desired, and the the joy, which is one of the fruits of the Holy Ghost, uh, is the possession of the state of sanctifying grace, and with that the a uh, very firm hope of attaining eternal salvation. So you are in possession of the thing that is most important to you, that is friendship with God. Uh, just as, you know, by analogy, when people are in love, you know, you can tell that they're very happy and everything's beautiful and rosy because they have a, a natural joy in them. They possess something that, that they want. Now that's usually before they get married, <laughs> but the, uh, uh, after a while, as as the realities of married life, you know, progress, sometimes that that joy is not as complete as it was when they were first courting. But in any case, I think you understand the analogy that when you are in possession of what you want, you attain joy, and the supernatural joy is the uh, attainment of that friendship with God that will be fulfilled and completed in heaven. Now, what he's talking about, uh, <laughs> I really don't know. Uh, the I think it's another way of saying that those who do not agree with the evolution of dogma and the complete transformation of the Catholic Church into something uh, that is unrecognizable are... Uh, these nasty doctors of the law who opposed Christ and were just grumps, uh, and uh, that uh, it's just another characterization um, uh, of of people who are objecting to his agenda of destroying both dogma and the moral law. That's my opinion. Uh, yes, uh, the same here. That. Um, this is 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 uh, propaganda uh to uh, tell the people who oppose his program that they're in the same category as the uh, pharisees and it is this sort of uh, uh emotional uh encounter this emotional reaction that really counts for the true believer this is my um 
this is my program, and uh, those who oppose this program are uh, opposed to to joy and have completely missed the uh, message of Christ, uh, that in fact they are not uh, true believers. Then he uh, talks further on in, in, in this about uh, it's only that they had a system of precise doctrines that they clarified each and every day that no one can touch them. These are men without faith, without law, attached to doctrines that become an attitude of casuistry. You can pay the tax to Caesar, can you not? This woman who has been married seven times, when she goes to uh, heaven, will she be the bride of those seven? Uh, this was the word, an abs- world, an abstract world, a world without love, without faith, without hope, without trust, without God. Uh, perhaps for this they could not rejoice. I mean, the, the uh, this is the the uh, these are the stand-ins that Bergoglio is using for uh, the, the uh, condemning uh, those who would try to adhere to some sort of uh, Catholic doctrine. He's telling us once again, it does not matter. It doesn't matter. This is all quibbling. Don't sweat the small stuff. It's all small stuff. Yeah, you see, it's more joyful to say to two people living in adultery, you know, just go ahead and don't worry about it. Just come to communion, and and you know, we're all. We're, I'm not going to condemn you. you. See, condemnation comes from dogma and moral law. See, so if you get rid of dogma and moral law, then there's no condemnation. So you say to the transgender, well, you're okay. You say to the homosexuals living together and all, you're okay too. And you say to to adulterers, well, that's okay too. And to the fornicators, this this is a joyful church. You see, so nobody is sad. Everybody's happy. Everybody accepts everybody else, no matter what you do or think. That's joy for him. Uh, and uh, and he he detaches doctrines from the faith, he, he, which is the precise opposite of Catholic teaching. Catholic teaching is that the object of faith is the dogma, is the doctrine, uh, and and but he detaches it. I mean, in a, in a you know that their system of precise doctrines. What what do you call the the pre-Vatican II Church except a system of precise doctrines? And the Church was very very careful to preserve those doctrines and and excommunicated heretics. That's the history of the Catholic Church. You know, anybody that that's a, even a, a casual historian, anyone that picks up a book from before Vatican II can tell the sensitivity that the Catholic Church had to the, the preservation of precise doctrines and definitions. That's why it defines. And uh, the uh, and you know, I, I think he's false too for saying that the doctors of the law were without faith. I mean, they believed the revelation of the Old Testament. There's no evidence that the Pharisees failed to believe the revelation of the Old Testament. Their loss of faith came with the rejection of Christ as the true Messiah. But, you know, he can't say that, because you know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) Then you get into the forbidden territory, that those who reject, those Jews that reject the true Christ as the true Messiah, have no faith. That's the conclusion of that. So you have to say that these Pharisees had no faith. There's no evidence of that. Well, he has the the um, 
uh, perhaps it it uh, it has to do with the next point that his uh, Bergoglio's understanding of faith is this this vague sort of encounter mm-hmm. that the Pharisees did not perhaps have this joyful encounter. It's not a question of 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 them not uh, you know adhering to what God had. Uh, revealed and trying to live according to this this law, but that they did not experience this personal uh, encounter. And therefore, if you define faith, as Bergoglio seems to do, as uh, a personal encounter, then, of course, uh, they didn't have it. Mm-hmm. Yes, I see. Yes, that, that's, uh, yes, he does uh, detach dogma from faith, which is his first error. Uh, yeah, and then he says, without joy, that person is not a true believer. You know, well, what you know that means without approving of adultery, you're not a, a true believer. Uh, the that's really what it boils down to, is uh, the abandonment of both dogma and and the moral law that liberates you and makes you happy. Uh, and uh, so, um, and how does he know that these people didn't have joy in their hearts? Yeah. No, really. Who How is he, he to know judge? This? Who is he to judge? Yeah, who is he yeah. to judge? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'm reminded. You actually, you talking about encounter. Uh, one of the earlier episodes of the season that that Justin hosted. Uh, you asked the question. You know, how does one encounter Jesus Christ? And I think we're, we're all sort of baffled. I don't really know the answer to that question, uh, because it's it's this non-traditional conception of a posture to, towards our Lord. We don't really think of encountering him. We think of praying to our Lord or asking for forgiveness, but encountering, it's just, you know, it smacks of these. I, I, you know, I went on more of these retreats. I know you experienced the beginnings of them because you, you lived the beginnings of them, but since I was born into the Novus Ordo sect, I, you know, would go on these retreats where we talked about encountering. In fact, I went on one called Tech, which was Teens Encounter Christ. And, uh, you know, the entire weekend was about encounter. Uh, although, you know, with, with girls there, you know, you, you, you tend to think of other encounters, you know, as, as a teenager. Um, it's, it's not really teens encounter Christ. But the, the, this, this encounter issue, uh, I, I think uh, you, you, you put your finger on it the last time uh, that this came up. It's, 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 it's really gobbledygook, you know, I... There's no theological sense behind it, and there's no not even the theological sense. There's not any practical sense of how to instruct a Christian on how one encounters, and so then they're left yeah. feeling inadequate when they don't encounter properly, whatever that means. Yeah, how, how do you know that you have encountered Christ and not the devil, or what are the <laughs> signs of an encounter with Christ? You know, give us some some signs of it and and some objective norms that we have in fact encountered Christ. You know what? What does this mean? And where is the tradition for it, except in the Quakers and the Pentecostalists? And don't forget, he's a Pentecostalist. Mm, indeed. Well, and, and modernism. As you, as you were talking about this, this contradiction, you're see, I, I couldn't help but being, as you see, you brought up Luther, and I, I see this, these, you, the use of these phrases, mercy and joy, as that snow that covers our, our imperfections. So there's sin, there's these terrible things that we're doing, we're living in sin, we're being divorced, you know, we're in homosexual unions, that's the sort of uh, dung, high, dung pile. And then mercy and joy functions as this new snow that covers all of that so that we can coexist. And as you point out, it's really 
this isn't anything new. He's just using new code language and he's dressing it up. But you could say in, in our modern modern parlance that he's uh, he's rebranding Lutheranism as as uh, as uh, Novus Ordo uh, Catholicism. Yeah, it's snow, all right. Yeah, <laughs> it's snow, all right. But I, I really don't think that he thinks all of that is immoral. Uh, you know, this is uh, I'm judging, I guess here, but yeah. I think he knows that the path to changing the moral dogmas, let's say, is to change the way that we treat them. Is that that he knows that he can't come out and say, well, adultery is okay. That's he he knows enough that he can't do that. But he can come out and say that we're going to treat them with mercy. That is, act toward them as if they're not sinners, uh, and act toward these people. Uh, and he knows that with the with the in course of time, that will establish a new and evolved moral dogma that there's nothing wrong with these people, and that that they are just uh, you know encountering Christ in their own way, and and they love each other, and all of that garbage that they come up with. Uh, I, I really don't think he sees it as dung. I don't think so, because it, it, there would be even Protestants want their followers to abandon their evil ways. I mean, there's no mention of that here. <laughs> it's it's mm. just all mercy. See, the 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 uh, other thing that's uh, that's at play, and this may even come up in some of the, the other material that we have here, is uh, the uh, idea that the uh, way people live is some sort of a theological source. And the, 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 the understanding that um, a, a Christian layman has of, uh, say, moral principles or of dogma, that uh, this is actually some sort of a, a, a source that we have to, uh, that the Holy Ghost uses, and that uh, we, the uh, uh, Church, uh, are supposed to draw conclusions from for our belief. So uh, this is supposed to modify um, these the, the beliefs that have been handed down and allow us to evolve uh, to the next level. They, the, the theme keeps on uh, coming up here, that uh, in the case of, say, the Synod, the Synod 1 and then Synod 2, uh, which is coming in October, we're going to have this consultation of the members of the laity to see how they understand different things, and we're going to try to learn from that. So it's 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 uh, again the idea of of uh, revelation from below. And that is, it's, it's completely in line with the modernist program, and it is, is what Bergoglio is, is doing, and it's what the, um, it, those members of the modernist hierarchy who are more attuned to the program, it's, it's what they are saying, that we have to listen to these people. Uh, it's, it was condemned in Pius X's encyclical Pascendi. Yeah. It was all explained and condemned. That, that dogma is from below, and it comes from that religious experience, what I described earlier, that you have an encounter, you have this, this experience of God, and then you begin to uh, form dogmas about God, and, and those are expressions of your experience. Well, you know, your experience changes, and the whole human experience changes with, as, with time, and therefore the Church must also change. Uh, that that's the the modernist position, and and Bergoglio was saying this pure and simple. I mean, he's not even ashamed of it. 
so uh, th- that's what you're looking at. N- no dogma or moral dogma, you know, doctrinal dogma or moral dogma, could, can ever survive if people are acting against it. It might survive as a theory in a textbook, but it will not survive in the minds of people if for a long time they act contrary, in a manner contrary to it. Uh, and so the, the destruction of dogma, which, which is obviously his agenda, both moral and, and speculative dogma, is, is going to be uh, done by him through these, this mercy business and joy. That's how he's, yeah. how he's going about it. The um, uh, this uh, you know this is a constant theme. It, it, it came up again. There's another um, uh, on the 16th of, of uh, April. He came out with the statement that those who do not dialogue disobey God. Now, mm-hmm. what what's going on here? So he says obedience often brings us along a path that is not the one I think it should be, but along another path. Uh, to obey is to have the courage to change paths when the Lord uh, asks this of us. The history of this stubbornness uh, when it comes to the journey is that of closing in on oneself, of not dialoguing. It is the the lack of dialogue. So the uh, Pharisees didn't know how to dialogue with others. Uh, Why do they understand it this way? They only interpreted the law uh, how it could be more precise, but they were closed to the signs of God in history. They were closed to the people, to their people. They were closed, closed. And the lack of dialogue, this closure of the heart, brought them to the point of not obeying God. This is the drama of these teachers of Israel, these theologians of the people of God who didn't know how to listen. They didn't know how to dialogue. Dialogue takes place with God and uh, the brethren. Then he says that that uh, let's pray for teachers, those who teach the people of God, that they not be closed in on themselves, that they would dialogue, and so save themselves from the wrath of God. So it's all, the whole thing is turned on its head. Mm-hmm. And the, the it's it's uh, just what we've always been describing, the, uh, the undermining of, of uh, dogma in, in, in practice, and uh, turning over the sources of uh, 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 turning over the sources of revelation and making some something into a, uh, uh, a theological source that that uh, that can never be. Mm-hmm. Now you can see, I mean, his real enemies uh, are what we we would term moderate uh, modernists. That is, the modernists that are still clinging, for one reason or another, to some doctrine. Now, I say for one reason or another, because like Ratzinger, I, my theory about Ratzinger is that he knew enough, uh, he knew how far he could go, and he knew the dangers of going too fast, uh, too much too fast, and therefore presented himself successfully to all of those, uh, to the neocons and the conservatives and the what I would call moderate modernists as as a bulwark of orthodoxy. In fact, he was not at all. But he managed to show himself as that. Uh, the, he, Bergoglio has declared war on these people. He has declared war on the Novus Ordo conservatives. Uh, he, he wants no part of them, and he wants to destroy at least their influence in the church, uh, you know, that, that they get out of the way. 
uh, you know, I don't think he wants to excommunicate them or anything like that. As a matter of fact, you know, he's probably talking with SSPX, as, you know, right now uh, to bring them in. But he he definitely wants to take another step away from those people. He wants to move uh, the people who call themselves Catholics into a whole new era of religion, uh, a whole new, sort of like a Vatican III, uh, a revolution, uh, another revolution, um, uh, bringing them into a, a, a whole new religion, uh, newer even than what Vatican II ushered in. That, that's my opinion. He, 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 is, he just hammers away at these people all the time and calls them names all the time. He, he, he just can't get him off the subject. And, and uh, who is he talking to? Because most of the people agree with him. <laughs> I mean, he has a great rating. I mean, <laughs> most of the people have lost the faith. Uh, most people love what he's saying. He, he's, he's targeting a, a relatively small group here, but who must be in some way influential. Uh, and they have to be destroyed. Well, dear listeners, we won't be calling you any names or destroying you. We want to remind you that you're listening to Francis Watch on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm, I'm Stephen Heiner, and I'm, as usual, joined by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn and Father Anthony Chicada. Today we've been talking about mercy, joy, not refusing baptism, uh, and Pharisees, which is, which is a recurring theme that we, we see uh, in Francis. We want to remind you that Francis Watch is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to mail, M-A-I-L, at truerestoration.org. Your Excellency, you mentioned that Francis is a Pentecostal, and I think, obviously, of that episode that you, last season, when you talked about his brother, Bishop, he referred to his brother, Bishop Tony, and I read this quote uh, about this charismatic. So this is a sermon uh, that was given in praise of charismatics, and it was uh, it was done uh, at the very close of Lent, which is why it didn't make the cut for our last episode. But one of the quotes here is, the, the Catholic charismatic movement is one of the many fruits of the Second Vatican Council, which, like a new Pentecost, led to an extraordinarily extraordinary flourishing in the church's life of groups and movements particularly sensitive to the action of the spirit. So, you know, I, I think of, you, you mentioned Martians, you know, you're thinking this, this person is definitely from Mars. But I suppose I was trying to think, as I read it, again, I thought, okay, okay, try to look at it from, from their perspective. I suppose... It's probably true. Uh, the charismatic movement got a, a, a huge boost from, from Vatican II, and you can say that that movement has flourished. Now, whether that movement has anything to do with Catholicism uh, is, is another thing, but I suppose we don't really have time in this episode to get into uh, charis the charismatic movement and its roots, etc., but I suppose the, the more pertinent and germane question is, how does the charismatic movement fit into Bergoglio's program or is, or is it just a, a chaotic uh, toss out there with, with no, with no part to the puzzle? Well, first of all, it never existed before Vatican II. In the, it was, I mean, I lived <laughs> and no one ever talked about it before Vatican II. I didn't hear about it until maybe the late sixties. 
They were charismatics. And, well, maybe you weren't hanging out uh, with the cool kids, Your Excellency. That might have been. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was in a modernist seminary. I mean, even there, it was it was something new. And, uh, you know, it was this bizarre thing where they would talk in, in tongues and all do, do and say some various bizarre things. And, uh, the you know, they would go back to scriptural references in St. Paul that, you know, this was something in the early church or whatnot. Uh, however, the... Uh, the the Pentecostal movement is something that imitates the Protestant Pentecostalists. Uh, Pentecostalism is one of the forms of Protestantism, and that is that you have a direct line to God. It started with the Quakers and the Shakers, that you know, if you put yourself in a, a mood or something or close your eyes or do whatever they have to do, uh, and you're one of these Pentecostal elites that th- that the spirit will come to you and will manifest himself to you, and you will you know say praise the Lord or hallelujah or do other things and I've heard in some Protestant churches from eyewitnesses that people get down on all fours and bark like a dog <laughs> uh i've you know I witnessed testimony uh and because the spirit moves them to do that now, if you say you know whatever happens at our our little uh service is the spirit of god is a manifestation of the spirit of god well then you know anything goes and everything has the stamp of infallibility upon it so the it means that you have this this personal contact with god which is goes around and above the church See, the Catholic notion is that the the Catholic Church is the agent of God with regard to your relationship to him and your knowledge about him. So it teaches and rules and sanctifies with the authority of God. If you have a direct line which bypasses the the authority of the Church, well, then you're a Protestant. So the uh, that that's really what it is rooted in, and the the modernist system needs it because one of the keystones of the modernist system is the interior experience of God, the individual's encounter and experience of God, and uh, so it, it is very much uh, a part of it. The second, or maybe thirdly, or wherever we are, uh, the Novus Ordo needs to uh, stir up people. It's just like a Protestant service. It, 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 it is not a, a service that appeals to people's piety and their intellect. Uh, it, it, appeal, it, it is there to stir you up and to get you excited about God. And that's the reason for all of the crazy liturgies and all. It's to get you going and, and get you excited. Uh, and if, therefore, it, the Novus Ordo really needs this. You see, the Novus Ordo can say, like, you know, bring this out on the stage and say, oh, look, at you know, we have the Holy Spirit in these people. And our religion, even though it's flagging everywhere and <laughs> everywhere there's destruction, and what was once the Catholic Church now looks like the Roman Forum, uh, even though uh, that, you know, that is true, well, we, you know, look at all of this great work and the presence of God and what we're doing. So it's, uh, you know, some sort of... Um, uh, you know, a freak show or something you would bring out on a circus stage to to prove that in fact everything's going beautifully and in fact God is with us. I think there's a lot of that in it too. 
I don't know if Father Chikata has anything to add to all of those uh, yeah, constructive uh, things. Uh, that a I little bit, because I noticed <laughs> that the people who, uh, in my seminary experience, uh, and uh, Milwaukee was pretty crazy by the time I, I got seminary college. We, we had the encounter stuff that uh, Stephen mentioned, and we had people who got involved very early on in the uh, uh, so-called Catholic charismatic movement, which, if I'm not mistaken, was something from 1968 that kind of got started at uh, Notre Dame University in Ohio. But the the uh, Indiana. type uh, uh, Indiana, correct? Uh, the uh, type of of um, personality that tended to get involved in the um, uh, charismatics, at least in my experience in the seminary, were the fellows who had been uh, involved earlier, let's say, in the uh, sodality movement, who had uh, uh, this idea, this 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 yearning for some uh, uh, a special sort of of uh, uh, personal piety, a very very uh, warm emotional type of of, of uh, piety. So what happened is when you had that officially pulled out. Uh, of the equation by Vatican II by the Novus Ordo, they still felt the the draw for something like that. And in um, uh, contemporaries and in uh, both seminarians and, and priests who uh, had had that particular mentality before, I saw them very attracted toward the uh, charismatic movement. And there, there was uh, uh, one priest in, in whom uh, I was very... Uh, impressed by, who made an uh, extremely good impression on uh, me as as far as his his personality, as far as his, his spiritual advice. Eventually, I saw uh, this guy get involved in a big way in the charismatic movement. So there, there was a draw because it was a uh, it was a substitute for something that had been taken away by the Vatican II changes. Because one was told that all of these these other devotions uh, were no longer uh, no longer required, so well uh, let's go and get the Holy Spirit instead. So that's the one point that I would make. The other is that it's uh, I mean it's it's uh, ecumenical as it were in its uh, of its very nature. Now, the origins of it are in American Protestantism in the um, uh, 19th uh, century, these these sort of uh, piney woods, uh, lolly-bolly, snake-handling uh, uh, churches out in uh, the middle of nowhere in the hills. That uh, this, this was the the origin of American Pentecostalism, and um, eventually it became a little bit more um, uh, a little bit more acceptable, a little bit more mainstream, and it was picked up then uh, at uh, at Notre Dame. But part of a big part of it is that it's uh, it is in fact ecumenical. That um, uh, Bergoglio himself says that uh, it's a current of grace that is flowing under different forms through all Christianity. So uh, you know what what more do you need? You know that that so he sees it as something that. Um, uh, supersedes and, in effect, trumps the authority of the church. Yes, it will, you know, draw all religions together and, and form one big Christianity yeah. with no dogmas and no morals. Full of joy, though. Full of joy. 
however you define that. Yep. Well, for our next news item, we're going to go to a place uh, which which has been known to be joyful in previous times, but I suppose regarding Catholicism is not a particularly joyful place these days, and that's Germany. And we have two Rorate Chaley stories, one from March and, and one from April, that addresses uh, some points that we made actually in our last episode about the German bishops sort of putting putting out their feelers, putting out their own position on pastoral decisions regarding contraception and, and second marriages, etc. And I suppose I want to I want to lead off somewhat in medias res because this this editorial was written by a cardinal who was the uh, the former president of Cor Unum, which is a, a papal work, and he's reacting to the the Marx and uh, Boda uh, statements that came out of the German bishops' meeting, and and he says. This anti-Roman instinct is not the invention of some scholars, but in the north of Europe, a reality that displays strong centrifugal power. It is destructive to the highest degree uh, to the unity of the faith. So I suppose that's a historical backdrop. Whenever we're dealing with Germany, we, we cannot underestimate the destructive force that was wrought against what was formerly a very Catholic collection of countries, because there, there was no such thing as Germany uh, back in the day. Uh, Father Chikata, can you walk us through, it's, it's, um, it's, there's, there's a lot of different pieces to this, this letter, so I, I, I'll let you kind of uh, explain this reaction. So the, the, uh, what uh, this uh, particular cardinal from Corunum is, is reacting against is this uh, statement by uh, uh, Cardinal Marx, uh, who said that, well, that the German bishops' conference, when it comes to these diff- different issues, can't just be a subsidiary of, of Rome when it comes to the question of, of gay marriages or uh, communion to the divorced and remarried or uh, just about anything, that we uh, here have the pastoral responsibility to uh, look at the concrete situation uh, that uh, we have here the facts on the ground, uh, the the or as they might say in German philosophy, you know the ding on sich, the the thing in itself, and then we have to uh, make our particular uh, decisions. So that's what um, the cardinal from Corunum is uh, 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 reacting against the uh, idea that. Uh, Mark saying that, well, the German bishops are going to decide this uh, themselves. So you can see in the statement, uh, then, of, of, of uh, this cardinal from uh, Corunum, the uh, conflict that is going on in the uh, Novus Ordo hierarchy over the principles that Bergoglio is um, laying down. As I say, I th- he doesn't... Uh, uh, he likes a mess. Bergoglio likes a mess, and he certainly uh, created uh, created one here because you have uh, purported cardinals at each other's throat over this uh, uh, over this particular issue, and the impression that gives to the members of the laity who um, would live in, as it were, these irregular situations, is that you can have any opinion uh, at all. You can be for or against. It's all just a matter of opinion. Well, speaking of opinions, uh, 
Francis also made sure that the Vatican was heavily participating in the global warming climate change debate. In fact, the Vatican hosted a one-day conference uh, on climate change and uh, used using phrases like, we want to help build a global movement across all religions for sustainable development and climate change throughout 2015 and beyond. I suppose channeling his inner Paul VI that the UN is, of course, the last best hope for mankind. Uh, again, this is this is really just a continuation of what we saw last episode and, and last month, uh, Your Excellency. The, you want to get people to... You, you, he's looking to... He's an alliance builder. He's trying to build bridges. So you do that by diffusing the doctrinal questions. We're not worrying about judging people. We were focusing on mercy and joy. Not only are we not worrying about the things that the Catholic Church used to worry about, but now we're worrying about what the world cares about, which is climate change and and equal pay for women and that sort of thing. And so we see him taking up these causes, I think, further to endear himself. So in some ways, we, we think of this man as, as as unintelligent in the way that he expresses himself, but you're to see, I really see a method to his madness here. Am, am I wrong? No, I, I think that the man is very dull intellectually, but he is very clever, and he's very clever I- with the media, and he knows how to get his work done and, and his agenda accomplished. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But speculatively, I, I think that uh, you know he, he's really down at the low end of the scale, and you know as far as his intelligence, and that is combined with a, a great deal of ignorance. Uh, about even historical things and uh, just basics, uh, and uh, so you know that, that said, uh, he uh, this is don't forget he's a Marxist, and Marxism is, is a humanity religion. So anything that concerns the general condition of humanity is the object of religious faith for the Marxist, you know, quote unquote religious faith or Marxist faith. So we have to become excited about global warming in the same way that we might become excited about heresy in you know, 500 years before. I mean, this is like a heresy that people should be you know, doing things uh, like driving around and other things uh, that, that will cause the global warming. And, and it's, a, it's a global thing, so it involves all humanity. That means everybody's got to change, everybody's got to uh, contribute to the, the, the solution to the problem. And uh, so it, it is just really a function of his Marxism. Don't forget, for him, the two greatest evils in the world are the loneliness of old people and the fact that the young people have no jobs. Remember he said that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that the, you know, it's not atheism. It's not the condition of the church. It's not the, the uh, you know, abortion. Uh, it's, not, it, it's those two problems. Those are the big things. And uh, that's a sign of a Marxist. That, that's on his brain, these, these social and big global problems. And this is what we have to worry about. And, and not about dogmas and moral stuff. That's all, you know, as he says, casuistry and, and Phariseeism. This is the big stuff. And, and uh, so he's going to make a dogma out of, out of sensitivity to global warming. That's essentially what he's going to do. And so he's going. You're going to hear sermons. Maybe I should change the topic of my sermon for Sunday. The he's, you're going to hear sermons in the Novus Ordo about 
you know, being uh, watching out for your carbon print and whatnot, and uh, you know, all sorts of other ridiculous things. Uh, just watch that. This will become a, a, a Novus Ordo dogma. Well, the uh, the, the cardinal who talked about it, uh, uh, Turkson, who is um, in charge uh, apparently of these these uh, of the environmental inquisition, whatever they're going to call it. Uh, came out with a statement and said that it is a moral issue, a moral issue, that there's a moral imperative addressing, of addressing ecological uh, concerns, uh, that the wealthiest nations are morally obligated to push forward and to find solutions to climate-related change and so protect the environment. So there, it's being cast now as a, uh, as a moral issue. The interesting thing is, if I'm not mistaken, I think Turkson is uh, perceived in some areas of the um, uh, Novus Ordo Church as uh, actually being a conservative. So the the the, the uh, positioning then for establishing um, this the the the, uh, the green agenda as uh, a question is that of 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 uh, uh, fundamental principle of morality. That's what they want to do, and this this goes back again as. Uh, uh, you say, Your Excellency, to this this idea of a uh, man-centered, uh, dogmaless uh, religion that uh, promotes the human interests in this world, and basically that's about it. It animates animates that particular program, and does so in a way that that captures people's uh, imagination, but uh, doesn't really have any idea of of uh, dogma or uh, really uh, firm. Moral principles, at least in the sense those have been under, that those have been understood by the Catholic Church. And I would throw back at him this: you know, if I drive around in a big gas guzzler SUV, who am I? But I'm trying to do the best I can in life. Who am I to judge? You know, if it is a moral issue, uh, and, but I'm doing my best. You know, I, I love this big Cadillac SUV. It gets like ten miles to the gallon or eight miles to the gallon. Uh, you know, who who is he to judge, or who's anybody to judge? You know, we're just trying to do our best. A- and also, where's mercy in this? Yeah. You know, why can't we just do drive what we want and be merciful and have joy? I think, in fact, there was a '60s song, "I'm in love with my car." <laughs> and uh, perhaps this this is a new type of orientation that would be. Uh, that it would be approved of. So, uh, you know, it, it, if you've got no objective principles to say what's right and what's wrong, how can you say that that's wrong? Yes. You know, you're doing that in good. Uh, uh, you're doing that in good conscience. Right? And one of the first things we've got to do is get rid of all those cows. Yeah. <laughs> it's true that they put out so much methane gas. <laughs> that they are, uh, I'm not kidding you, that they they are a big contributor to the uh, that whole problem. So there go the hamburgers. The McDonald's has to be shut down. And leather shoes and, and, and uh, purses and all are all going to be anathema. Uh, You'd have to I, shut down the agricultural uh, economy of Argentina, too. Right? <laughs> because it's all, there's all that cattle out there. Ah. Uh, Think of all of that methane gas. 
yeah. Right. All that, all that great, all that great steak down there in Argentina. Uh, I mean, speaking of changing sermon topics, Your Excellency, are, are you going to change your sermon topic to talk about how women deserve equal pay? I mean, this is clearly yeah, a priority another, of, was, of this Vatican. I was torn. I was torn between the global uh, warming and the equal pay issue. So I don't know. Maybe you could let me know what one you'd like to hear. You could take a poll. You don't have to ask me. Your Excellency. I mean, who you know? Who am I to decide? You could. We could take a poll of our listeners, and they they could tell you what would be the more appropriate sermon topic. Just remember, sermons are not to be dull. Uh, as uh, as is the quote from Bergoglio. I think the ladies would rather hear about the equal pay, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think we'll, we'll – I, you know what? I'm not going to follow that up at all. Uh, you're actually, I'm going to leave that one there. Um, mm-hmm. What we're, what we're going to move into now uh, in this last segment of today's episode is what I, I would say is the reaction – so uh, we always examine Father Father does a very good job of, of finding out how people are reacting. So we've given you a lot of the actions of Bergoglio. Now we're gonna step back and take a, a meta look at how other people other than ourselves, obviously at Francis Watch we have a particular point of view that's informed by, by Catholic doctrine. There are other people, you know, who are in the Novus Ordo or, or even just observers outside the Novus Ordo who give us I think a very good sense of what other people are thinking. So we we don't we don't just uh, think this is what Father thinks or this is what Bishop Sanborn thinks. And we have three reactions. We have one from Cardinal Casper. We have one from Meridiaga, and then uh, we have one from a, a Novus Ordo philosopher. So I think uh, uh, Your Excellency, I think Cardinal Casper is your fr- your your favorite cardinal, your favorite friendly cardinal. Um, he says that. Reality is greater than ideas. And he goes on to say, uh, the challenge of this pontificate is far more radical than most suspect. It is a challenge for conservatives who don't want to let themselves be surprised anymore by God and who resist reforms, just as it is for progressives who expect feasible, concrete solutions right here and now. The revolution of tenderness and love and the mysticism of open eyes could disappoint both groups and in the end nevertheless receive its due. So what does he mean? Reality is greater than ideas, Your Excellency. Well, he he means that the uh that the reality that is generating these ideas, namely the 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 sinking into gross immorality and the idea that uh and that that sinking that is factual sinking into gross immorality uh, and defection from the faith will turn the ideas. In other words, that they will dictate the ideas. Uh, that's true, too. Uh, in a modernist, it's true. Uh, in a Catholic, it would inspire condemnation uh, and uh, an attempt to draw people back from immorality and heresy into the true faith. Uh, but in, in a modernist, it's going to dictate that the religion change all the more. So uh, you know, uh, all of these facts will survive Bergoglio, and they will be dictating the ideas that the uh, Novus Ordo hierarchy will will have to adapt themselves to. Uh, so I think that's what he means. Uh, the he also is saying this revolution of tenderness and love and and mysticism. That means that's code for uh, we we will have no dogmas, we will have no moral codes. We will bless everything and call it and say that it comes from God. That's the mysticism. 
you know, we're having these encounters with God where where uh, God is surprising us by uh the these uh these the way he tells us things i think uh, somewhere else uh, bergoglio said uh, that whenever we hear god's voice we know it's right and all the you know stuff like that it's pentecostalism uh so that that is their new revolution that is the what i would call the vatican 3 tenderness love mercy and all of that that is really leaving behind the the conservatives who are still pining for pre-vatican 2 and the even the Vatican II progressives who are still in in the <laughs> the the old religion <laughs> the the uh the Vatican II religion where you had very defined uh, liberal programs this is an open ended who knows what will come of this uh uh new religion tenderness love mysticism mercy joy and and uh surprises uh that's that's what they are manufacturing as the new religion well uh father i wanted to ask you about cardinal maradiaga uh i know he's your he's your top banana and yes, i wanted he is. you to and I in fact, you to call- he, he came to cincinnati to speak and i believe cincinnati was once the headquarters of chiquita banana so uh, it was rather appropriate. There was uh, yeah, a came, correlation there. <laughs> definitely. He uh, came to speak at the seminary, uh, the the Athenaeum, which is down on the other side of, of uh, the city. And he uh, gave, uh, in effect, another policy statement. Remember the story in Meridiaga is that he is a... Um, uh, he is, in effect, the PR man, uh, together with Casper, for promoting Francis's program. He uh, goes around throughout the world and delivers these these lectures to make it clear to people what Francis is uh, is up to. So he's uh, he's said as part of his speech that there's something new in the church uh, with uh, Bergoglio. A big revolution has uh, begun. Uh, that uh, this is a, a return to the heart of Christian revelation. Uh, this is preaching a personal encounter with Christ, to see him as a living person who walks with you. Um, Which is straight from the 1960s. That's yeah. 50 years old. That's as old as, like, uh, tail fins practically on cars. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 yeah it's it's all this this stuff that uh the stuff that we've heard before and then he said we can't get trapped by our own ideology if you don't encounter christ as a person you live religion as a theory that can just be changed by another theory Uh, this demands uh, vulnerability and mutual transformation authentic encounter can it be possessed or controlled so it's the the uh, same as the previous, the the uh, same idea that that uh, the Cardinal Casper is uh, pushing, that um, there is there is uh, what Francis is doing is revolutionary. There is a uh, big change in the air. People better get uh, ready for it. Again, uh, especially the conservatives, uh, those such that remain, they better get ready for it. But this is 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 uh, what's going to happen. That uh, I think he said once before the whole paradigm, that is to say the whole frame of reference on which we uh, look upon these issues now has to change. So that's that's the big revolution. 
that you know Meridiaga when I read this when I read this I thought of the Fuhrer imitations if you ever look at the old newsreels all of the all of the followers of Hitler whether it was Hesse or Goebbels or even people lower than them uh, uh, they they would uh, always imitate the Fuhrer both in his mannerisms when they were speaking and in what he said I mean it was just a carbon copy of the Fuhrer and each one had his own imitation of the Fuhrer and this just sounds <laughs> just all I could think of was all of this stuff is just imitating Bergoglio yeah, uh, it, it just sounds like I'd, I'd love to see him even deliver it uh, <laughs> it's just such a uh, uh, it's imitating the Fuhrer that's all it is yeah this is normal so <laughs> that's what they do so uh, and he is uh, he is really uh, since he's a little younger than, uh, quite a bit younger actually than Marx, or rather than uh, than Casper, uh, and is fluent in a number of different languages, he's really able to uh, beat the drum to get the the followers to goose step in the same direction. Mm-hmm. He could be Papabile even. Oh, Meridiaga, yes, yeah, yeah. Yes, but, uh, he has enough. Uh, yeah. Uh, he's now he is well known. He is he's definitely a prominent uh, yeah. a prominent figure. Yeah. Well, as, uh, speaking of uh, uh, goose stepping, uh, we have a uh, a German philosopher here who is speaking of uh, Francis as a security risk. Uh, also called him the faux pas pope, and um, he says that he has a chaotic manner of exercising his office, and uh, also theological apathy. And uh, he says, uh, Francis is one of the most authoritarian popes we've had in a long time. If Benedict had said this, there would have been an uproar. But with Francis, the focus is once again on papal authority, and not a single newspaper gets upset. Now, what does he mean, Your Excellency, that uh, if Benedict had said this, there would have been an uproar, but with Francis, the focus is on papal authority. I disagree with him completely. Don't forget, Ratzinger permitted birth control devices. I mean, that's pretty radical. Uh, if you remember that whole thing, it, it, you couldn't get more radical morally than the permission of birth control devices. But he was—he had that Teflon, uh, you know, covering on him that. He was Mr. Conservative, and uh, it didn't happen, or we won't talk about it. Uh, no, I, I don't think uh, – I, I disagree with him uh, on that. I, I think he's, uh, that shows that he's a secret Ratzinger admirer, uh, as, you know, this the, the, the bulwark of orthodoxy. Uh, 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 but it is true that uh, – I mean, I think the, the reason that he is uh, – there is no reaction to, to – uh, Francis in the in the press is because the press loves him, uh, and they perceived Ratzinger for uh, as a as somebody that they didn't love, as somebody that was uh, holding the line, and they perceived him as that and and proposed him as that to the world. In fact, it was not true. He was a radical modernist. It's just uh, I think Ratzinger had enough sense and intelligence to know that what. Bergoglio is doing is too much too fast and will backfire. That's my opinion. Uh, and uh, so, you know, and also there's no reaction as well because there's no more, I just talked about this in my newsletter, 
Nobody cares. Nobody cares what about orthodoxy or dogma. I mean, who cares? <laughs> if he can get a 95% approval rating in this country from church-going Novosordites, the pious Novosordites, 95%. That means you have a 5% that is saying there's something wrong with him. And that that tells me that dogma is dead. Moral teaching is dead. Orthodoxy is dead. Uh, so I, I think that's the reason is that, and the people who have killed it off are John the Twenty Third, Paul the Sixth, John Paul II, and Ratzinger. Those are the people that killed it. Bergoglio is just coming on the the, the top of the wave and 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 it is is uh, surfing it, so to speak. But all the power. Uh, Father Chicago will get a kick out of that. Uh, <laughs> the ten towing it, <laughs> but all of the power of the wave and all of it, its forces from Vatican II and those Vatican II so-called popes. I wouldn't call this one the faux pas pope, but the faux pope. Yeah, uh, Spamin—that's the, the the name of the philosopher. Obviously. Uh, was a Ratzinger fan. He thought Ratzinger was, uh, you know, absolutely great. But uh, I th- think kind of what he's lamenting is that uh, is the the uh, question of of perceptions that um, uh, Ratzinger was perceived as authoritarian or was was uh, uh, pushed and and promoted in the press as being, you know, the the German Shepherd, uh, the the uh, watchdog. Of uh, orthodoxy, etc., and that uh, uh, Bergoglio, whereas Bergoglio's manner is a- actually is uh, more uh, authoritarian than one could ever have accused Ratzinger of being, and uh, he, Bergoglio is able to get away with it because of his popularity, because of his manner. But in fact, he is is a um, he's a typical Stalinist liberal. That he is going to push these different ideas, uh, he's going to bulldoze the opposition, and he's going to uh, he's going to get what he wants. And all the, the uh, way along as he's doing it, the uh, press is uh, the press are going to promote him as a great fan of of uh, uh, of openness. When in fact he will uh, he will crush opposition, which is is uh, what's happened. Yes, that yeah. is true. Uh, in that sense, Francis is more authoritative, quote unquote, than Ratzinger is. Yeah. Uh, by temperament too, and, uh, and uh, you know, temp- I think in temperament, Ratzinger was kind of a retiring person, and yeah. intellectual. The the uh, other interesting thing with Spaman, the this this philosopher, is he says that one can't quite escape the feeling of chaos. And uh, this was this was a theme that we've been talking about from uh, the beginning of uh, the uh, of, of of the Francis years. That he is a bomb thrower. Uh, he is he is a radical. He promotes chaos. He likes to, as he said, make a mess. Uh, in in um, his his speech to the kids down at the World Youth Day in Brazil. And uh, he has everyone, uh, such conservatives uh, that there are uh, still in the Novus Ordo establishment, they're at the throats of the other people. So he is is truly a a radical bomb thrower. 
And it's it's nice at least that someone like Spayman has finally come along to realize what uh, the method is, because that's how the revolution out of the the, the ferment that the uh, revolution is fomented. Mm-hmm. The the last topic that we want to talk about today is, is something that Father Jakarta called the atheist theologian, which is a, a logical consequence of Vatican II modernism. And he was citing a, a book review that was on National National Catholic uh, Reporter about um, uh, this Daniel McGuire, who was an ex-priest and uh, teaches, quote-unquote, teaches theology, I suppose I should say, at Marquette. Uh, That's the, Mar- the Jesuit University in Milwaukee. Um, uh, yes, the, uh, the reason uh, uh, that I find this interesting is that um, what you what you saw in the theology department in Marquette University was the logical, um, uh, as it were, living out and working out of the modernist theology of Vatican II. They had, when I was still in the minor seminary in uh, Milwaukee, they had a a, uh, theologian who eventually left the priesthood uh, named Bernard Cook, who was a very uh, prominent promoter of these uh, different modernist theories. And then you had this uh, Daniel McGuire, who's an apostate priest, uh, who eventually became a tenured uh, professor of uh, theology at, at Marquette University. So he's in an unassailable position. And he's he's been working for decades to corrupt the... Uh, uh, corrupt the Catholic faith. So he, the the, the logical consequence of you see now in in McGuire and what's happened, the logical consequence of the modernist theories, which, as Pius X told us, uh, eventually leads to uh, atheism. So he writes this book, and ends up what the reviewer describes as a Christianity without God, similar to Buddhism, Taoism, and Confucianism, where a way of life, interesting, a way of life, not a God, is the focus. Uh, Unlike present-day atheists, McGuire doesn't throw out the baby with the bathwater. God talk, he says, is never emptiness. It is rich in symbolic power. When we realize that, quote, God, unquote, is not dead, that, uh, quote, God as a person was never alive. Our need for symbols does not die. So all this is, is this is where everything, uh, this is where everything is going. Because once you throw out dogma uh, and you reduce it to uh, symbolism, uh, as, as it was done progressively by someone like McGuire, uh, uh, following the, the, in effect, the teaching of Vatican II, this is what you end up with: atheism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very. Uh, and if I don't know if uh, going back to the situation in Germany, uh, the listeners might want to hear some of those, um, uh, s- some of the, uh, let's see, uh, the, uh, oh, the stats, yeah. Yes, uh, just uh, mm-hmm. among priests and among lay people about what what they uh, that God is not a person. Uh, I'm just looking for it right now. The um, um, do you know where it is, Father Chicano? Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, uh, pages nine and ten. Um, <clears throat> the um, okay, just let me get it. The I, I think that's important that here you had a once. Uh, you know, they're, they're polling Catholics in Germany, uh, once a place of strong Catholicism, and now it's uh, uh, a, a, 
complete wasteland. Uh, just listen to this. Uh, uh, a, uh, there were the results of another analysis conducted on on 8,000 pastoral workers all from all over Germany. Uh, uh, let's see, uh, uh, let's come up with um, uh, 54 of them. That's the priests. 54 percent. Yeah. 54 uh, percent of them declare that they go to confession just once a year, and this and the same for 70 percent of the deacons. Uh, and uh, only 58% of priests say that they pray every day or a number of times a day. Uh, To the question, why are you Catholic, 68% of Germans responded saying, because it allows us to celebrate the important events of life, and then, I guess Christmas, and then immediately after, because it's a family tradition, 60% of the faithful say they don't believe in life after death only a third believe in the resurrection of Christ. However, 25% believe that if a black cat crosses your path, it brings bad luck. Uh, and then there were other uh, cases of um, uh, not believing in a personal God. I, it was in there as well. So, yeah, the, it, in other words, the... Hello? Uh, yes, that was in a, a, a previous poll that was cited earlier in the, uh, earlier in the outline. Now, it, yes. it's um, uh, this is the result of uh, Vatican II among people who supposedly are, are Catholic churchgoers who are self-identified as Catholics. No, I mean, if you had taken that poll, let's say in, in 1950, it would have been a, a totally different. I mean. You, the, the priests were, they believed in the Catholic faith, the people were practicing their faith. Uh, it, it's it's Vatican II. It has destroyed everything and completely destroyed it. Uh, and, and you know, this is, uh, this is the, the effects of what, what we have. Well, the, the last section today, I, I said there was a last section, but we're now introducing something called the surprise section which neither His Excellency or Father Chicada knew about. It's a, a true surprise in the, in the spirit that Bergoglio is encouraging. So I'm, I'm seizing the spirit, I, I, I'm getting into it, Your Excellency, and I want to surprise you and Father. And uh, it's actually a story that, that came very, very late uh, before showtime today uh, that was uh, from the Santa Marta Mass, which normally those things are supposed to be embargoed, uh, the last I heard, but uh, we're getting some quotes out. And I'm going to read you a few quotes, and again, I'd, I'd like some, some reaction um, uh, to close our show today. Uh, in the history of the church, we can see from then until today how much fear arose from the surprises of the Holy Spirit. The, this highlights that in both there, there is the Holy Spirit who lets the truth be seen, something we cannot do on our own. We cannot see it with our intelligence, quote-unquote. And he goes on to conclude by saying um, that as he's putting, he's, he's reacting, how would someone react to his prescription or talking about this idea of fear? He says that someone might say to him, why do you create so many problems? Let's do things as we have always done them. That way we are more certain. He responded that this hypothesis might be an alternative, but it would be a sterile alternative, a dead alternative. What is much better than doing what we've always done? 
he concluded, is with prayer and humility to take the risk of accepting what the Spirit asks us to change according to the time in which we live, this is the way. It's very risky and difficult. Your Excellency Father? Oh, it's just theme and variation. It's, again, uh, accept the new religion that we are purveying uh, and drop your old uh, conservative pre-Vatican II ideas. Otherwise, you're not faithful to the Holy Ghost. That's what it means. And he's the one that's going to tell us what the Holy Ghost, uh, you know, is telling us. Uh, He and Casper and Maradiago, or whatever his name is, the big banana. The uh, the uh, th- that's that's the message. It's just another shot at any kind of orthodoxy, any remnant that there is from from the atomic attack on the Church of Vatican II, and any any existing structures of dogma or moral law that still exist. It's it's a final wiping out of those things under the pretext of being uh, faithful to the Holy Ghost. That's all. Yeah, and it, it, the um, the sense of this is, the, uh, you know, that it uh, it is a he's delivering a very very strong condemnation. It's a sterile alternative. It's a dead alternative to uh, insist on the old ways of believing or on the old ways of acting. That uh, that is sterile and. This ongoing revelation that we have is one where we don't know where it's going to lead us in the future. It's going to lead us somewhere, but uh, it's certainly going to lead us to put the past in the past and uh, to ignore it because in there you really can't find uh, any sort uh, any sort of life. Mm-hmm. So this is this is um, uh, the the idea of. Um, you know the type of agnosticism where <laughs> we where we don't know where we're going. A constantly evolving religion, yeah. constantly. You know, if he is successful in getting this accepted, and it seems that he will. I mean, we all thought in the past, back in the eighties or nineties, even that if they made women priests, that would really shake people up and wake them up. That that they would see that this is really a false religion. I think that if they were to do women priests now, I think most of the Novosortites would be very happy with it. Uh, because he is inculcating that principle that, that we, you know, we're going to have surprises, we're going to have changes, and that the sign of life is change. Uh, so I, I think most people would happily accept it. I don't know. What do you think, Father Chico? Yeah, I I think that they have evolved, as it were, to that point because they're they're ready for anything now, ready mm-hmm. for absolutely uh, everything that the old generation uh, has. Um, uh, those who managed somehow to retain the Catholic faith, who would have been shocked by that, uh, they have have died off, and the current generation is uh, you know fifty years into the new springtime of Vatican II, where. Uh, they have been told to embrace the world and uh, that uh, there are many different points of view, who are we to judge, and uh, that uh, we uh, that accepting surprises is a good thing. So 
So I think that you're right. I think the majority of people would uh, uh, would go along with it. That uh, you know, well, why should uh, 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 young ladies who uh, aspire to serve Jesus as, as priestesses, why should they be excluded by these mm-hmm. outmoded uh, uh, cultural uh, concerns that we find yeah. in the scripture, which is basically fairy tales anyway? Uh, and uh, how could a good God, you know, want to exclude them? Mm-hmm. And, and the, the Spirit tells us. Yeah. And and there it is. Uh, yeah, I, I really think that he is setting up all of the principles for some really radical changes that will rattle the cages of the Novus Ordo conservatives, but uh, will not uh, inspire them to do anything except roll their eyes. Uh, the Novus Ordo conservatives pride themselves on you know, staying within and, and trying to fight from within. They don't fight, though. They accept anything that comes down the pike, anything at all. And they are prepared to accept anything at all, uh, and, and they, they, yet they console themselves because they, they say, well, you know, we're against it, and we don't like it. Therefore, they're fighting from within. They're trying to stop the tide, you know, which is just a lot of nonsense. Well, I think that's a, as good a place as any to end today's episode. Your Excellency, what's the, the latest at uh, Most Holy Trinity? You say that the uh, the bitter end is July the 2nd for the seminarians. Have, have any of them dropped like flies, or are they still persevering? <laughs> they're, they're doing very well. We, we have a very uh, good group this year, and uh, they are uh, you know obeying all the rules, and uh, they're very bright. They do their work. Uh, they have good attitudes good personalities and they're pious and they they are doing everything they should. So You mean they're uh, not surprising you? <laughs> they're not surprising me, no. And uh so uh no they're they, you know uh we're we're uh, doing well. Uh, and uh uh if you read my last newsletter the biggest news is the pigs. Uh and that is that the, we had an invasion of wild pigs tearing up our lawn but now they're gone. Uh, we we asked somebody whose hobby it is to hunt pigs to take care of it, and we haven't seen them since. Let's put it that way. <laughs> they're actually so, wild boars, aren't they? Yes, yes, they're wild boars. And and he said from the tracks, he said some of them are as big as six feet long. Oh boy! Really? You could tell from the tracks. I mean, he's sort of an expert. So they're gone. <laughs> so, uh, but that was our big problem. They tore up maybe three or four acres of our land. Wow. Looking for grubs, yeah, a lot. There were about ten of them in the herd, and uh, the grubs and whatnot. And, you know, if they're cornered, they're very vicious. So uh, we were concerned about it, but they're gone now. So that that's our big news. That's that's it. <laughs> A wild wild boars invaded the vineyard. I think that Leo X said that about Luther, if I'm not mistaken. Well, here, here at St. Gertrude's, uh, things are percolating along very nicely. In the liturgical year, we had our uh, uh, children's uh, uh, school program. We have 30 kids in our school. We're very proud of them. They did a uh, uh, wonderful uh, and entertaining uh, program on Sunday with uh, for a spring program. Uh, our uh, boys uh, here, for our tiny little school, uh, are 
have a three-man fencing team, and with the three-man fencing team, they were able to take the second place in the South Ohio division for Sabre. So they're they're, uh, pretty good at sword fighting, um, and they've uh, beaten in the past much much bigger schools uh, than St. Gertrude uh, the Great, the one with... uh, a couple of years ago, with with uh, actually four thousand kids in it, um, but uh, did they cut them all down? Uh, oh yeah, they cut them down. You know, this is the church militant. It's, <laughs> we really go after them. But the last uh, during the last um, no mercy, I think. No mercy, just no, no, no mercy. No. <laughs> but the 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 best part of it is that even though they took second place in this this um, uh, South Ohio division during this last season, they managed to beat the Jesuit high school, <laughs> which I was very, very pleased with that. It's one of those $10,000 a year uh, high schools. And uh, our, our boys did an uh, excellent job. It's very interesting um, sport to watch and uh, has it requires actually uh, a lot of skill and poise. It's not uh, uh, brutality or anything. It's it's the, the the balance and the cleverness. So we're we're very proud of them, and uh, we are uh, in the process. We just started today um, uh, making available twenty copies of the anti-modernist reader, and it's a limited uh, number of of uh, copies and uh, I that we're selling from our HGG Resources site. Although, as I noticed during the course of uh, the program, that nearly all of them uh, have been sold. So uh, we will have to <laughs> eventually... Or confiscated. Yeah, confiscated. <laughs> we'll eventually have to um, start forwarding the traffic to the True Restoration site for people who are interested in uh, this first volume of the Anti-Modernist Reader. Well, and if you want to get on either of those mailing lists, uh, we've told you before, uh, if you want to get His Excellency's uh, newsletter and hear about the pigs before uh, you hear about them on Francis Watch, all you have to do is send uh, a minimum $1,000 contribution to His Excellency. <laughs> and uh, we've this That's known as bringing home the bacon. Yeah, right. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Father Chicago is not nearly as expensive. Uh, you don't have to give a $1,000 contribution to get his. Uh, you can simply email. But if you'd like more information on either the St. Saint Ger- uh, Saint Gertrude Father's e-newsletter or uh, His Excellency's old-fashioned paper newsletter, simply email francislatch at truerestoration.org, and we'll make sure that you get inscribed or you get instructions on how to, to get inscribed into either of those. Your Excellency and, and Father, as always, thanks so much for your, your scholarship and your perspectives. Uh, despite your lack of mercy and joy, I think uh, our listeners appreciate you. (laughs) Thank you, you, Stephen. God bless you all. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, We want to remind our listeners, if you have any questions, you can also use FrancisWatch at TrueRestoration.org to send questions to His Excellency and Father. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple ave for our work the next time that you pray. For the Restoration, I'm Stephen Heiner. May God bless you.